Greetings! I am Erin Patton, metaphysical master in a millennial age, and it is my life's purpose to guide you and organizations along an enlightened path. So I invite you to sit comfortably and tune in as I welcome you to the Meta Business Millennial, where we get the real conversations you won't get in the boardroom so that we understand this is exactly the path we need to be on in order to grow, evolve, and thrive. First of all, thank everybody for being here. And of course, Tim, for making this possible for me. Um, I've, I've shared with a lot of you how I'm even here today. Um, I started this podcast, The Meta Business Millennial, in November. So I'm literally like 30 episodes in. <laughs> and it's super fresh and it's super refreshing, actually, to be able to share my story, to be able to share other people's stories, talk to other people. And um, I've been following House of Beautiful Business now for two years. And I was introduced to House of Beautiful Business by my first client, Andy Zimmerman. Um, a frog design. He was a CEO at the time and had worked with him before. And I was reading y'all's newsletters and really just intrigued and inspired by the work, for real. And so I sent a call email to Tim and, and really wanted to just engage with him around what this metaphysical business is. And it just turned out that he's actually writing a book called The Metaphysical Economy. And so <laughs> it couldn't be more aligned. And this is exactly what Meta Business is. It's about alignment. And I also just want to share a little bit about who I am, because so much of what we do is inspired by, influenced by who we are. And I'm originally from Houston, Texas. I grew up in Third Ward. Uh, many of y'all may know it because Beyonce grew up there, Debbie Allen, Felicia Allen. I actually did grow up with Beyonce. I know her personally. Um, and I was always um, kind of very driven, um, very outgoing. And um, I was in beauty pageants. I was a dancer. I was in gymnastics. And my life at the same time was always very fucking traumatic, like, traumatic as fuck. <laughs> I have to be real. Um, by the age of six, my, my sister was murdered. Um, she was actually openly gay at the time. This was 1991, which was very rare, especially in a black, you know, middle-class professional home. We were like the Cosby family, um, no lie. And um, she got in a fight with her girlfriend and her girlfriend stabbed her and she bled to death. And, um, and a few months later, um, my father was a very renowned physician in the community, and he got involved in some prescription fraud and was sent to federal prison for seven years. So you can imagine, like, a young black girl, um, you know, growing up that with a murdered sibling and a father in prison, like, what that narrative looks like in the 90s, especially early 90s. And on top of that, my mom, you know, was dealing with her own grief and was in a mental institution for a few months and um, actually encouraged me to not speak about my father. I used to have to lie and say that he was on business trips. And then we actually never spoke my sister's name again. So to this day, we still don't talk about Erica. And, um, and so growing up in sort of like this kind of emotionally suppressed environment really taught me how to perform very well and mask very well. And 
I continued to make straight A's, perfect attendance. I graduated like was valedictorian of my high school. I got into every college. Um, I did. I did everything perfectly, and I did it because I was trying to please everyone around me and make everyone happy. And I did that very well too. And so by the time I got to New York, I was working in the fashion industry. So when people are always like, you look so fashionable, it's because I used to do this for work. <laughs> um, and I um, was in my first full-time job at BCBG, Max Austria. And um, I was wearing my hair like this, you know, just trying to be fresh and cool and in my identity as a black woman. And I was a few months in told that my hair was inappropriate for the work environment and it violated company policies. And so you can imagine as like a 22 year old, you know, black woman in New York, how, um, <laughs> how damaging this was for my identity and how it really started to shape how I presented myself in corporate spaces, um, especially in predominantly white corporate spaces and how I started to really put on the mask of, um, <laughs> welcome guys, put on the mask of, um, of performance even more, even more so. And that shit is exhausting. It was very exhausting. And on top of that, um, you know, the drinking was a problem. <laughs> um, the partying was a, a real problem. And it was all in my, my pursuit to suppress, to numb, and to really avoid who I was and what I was going through. And I honestly didn't have anyone to receive or hold space for what I was going through at that time either. And, um, you know, I did what every, you know, I guess 20 something year old does at that time. And I went to Harvard <laughs> and I felt like that was um, a way to validate myself. I, I really wanted people to think and know that I was smart and intelligent and beautiful and all the things that we don't believe for ourselves. And, um, and I ended up going to the Kennedy School of Government for public policy and ended up going also to the business school to get my MBA. And um, actually I say now that I went from Harvard to healing because it was at Harvard where I was just completely um, submerged myself or yes, submerged myself. I really was not myself. And, um, and I say all this to say that you know, we all go through these experiences, we go through these challenges that really start to um, make us feel uncomfortable, make us, make us um, question who we are, and, and really um, open us up to who we can be. And so when I graduated from Harvard, you know, I thought that I was on top of the world. I thought I was the shit, okay? I had two masters from Harvard. <laughs> and I moved to Detroit on a fellowship actually to work at the Kresge Foundation. Um, I was in the, the C-suite, chief of staff to the CEO, $4 billion foundation, traveling all over the country. And I thought that this was like the pinnacle of achievement. I was in a fucked up relationship. <laughs> I was very distanced from my family. Um, I was around no friends in Detroit, and on top of that, I was just completely depressed and miserable. Um, and so miserable that I just, I, I really kind of retreated to myself for a couple years. And almost like a prisoner in my own home and in my own life, if that makes sense. And um, actually what uh, kind of snapped me out of it was the uh, passing of my father. And I um, actually 
uh, bonded with our guest that's coming up around this because it was in 2017 when my father unexpectedly passed away and I was actually launching my beauty brand. I have had a hair product company, um, plant-based hair products. And a few months later, when we launched our full line at Macy's, my mom was admitted to the hospital because she attempted suicide. I was attempting suicide. And, um, and so this was a sort of um, a revisiting of my childhood. So that's why I started with my childhood, so you can kind of see um, what I was experiencing um, again in my adulthood. Because when you don't master these lessons, they come back. And some people call it karma. Um, some people call it a trap. Whatever it is, you know, your, your soul is putting you through these, these experiences so that you can continue to grow and evolve, because that's what we came here to do as divine beings. And um, and so that's exactly what the fuck I did. <laughs> I had no choice, really, because I was so, I was just, I had such little hope and love for myself. I remember even writing in my journal, like, I hate myself. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I had accomplished all these things in my life. And I was living in my childhood bedroom, you know, literally wiping my mom's ass, like, you know, taking care of my newborn son while his father was, you know, berating me. And um, I couldn't believe this was my life. Like I had manifested this because at that time I was really starting to get into metaphysics and the law of attraction and like how, like how the fuck could I have manifested this for my life? I, and that's the thing about, this journey is accountability, responsibility, and not understanding or understanding that I had unconsciously manifested these experiences um, to grow my soul, to grow my soul. And so, um, so it was then that I really started to tap into that which was the intangible. Um, Tim called it the subconscious. And, um, and really understood and understood that I could start to rewrite and recode my DNA and recode who I was and how I showed up in this world by simply changing my thoughts, changing my emotional patterns and listening to myself, loving myself, looking myself in the mirror and talking to myself like I'm talking to y'all right now because I had never done that before. And, um, and this is when things started to shift very, very acutely and very, very quickly and deeply for me. And um, then it became like, okay, what do I do with this newfound knowledge, with this confidence, with this wisdom? And I, I wanted to be a healer, pretty much straight up. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, I have all these degrees. Like I, I went to University of Texas undergrad. I had two degrees from there, two degrees from Harvard. Like I can't just abandon, you know, my professional life either. And so, you know, God just simply spoke to me and said, you need to integrate them both. And that's how metabusiness, <laughs> and that's how metabusiness was born, metaphysics and business. And it's very intentionally the integration of spirituality, the integration of who we are and how we show up in the world, how we show up at work so that we can be in complete alignment with our purpose, with our path and how we serve humanity. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, I just wanted to kind of open with that, so y'all can kind of be grounded in, in who we, who I am, why we're here, and and why we're doing this work. And 
I know that we've talked a lot about different approaches to business over the course of this weekend, um, but rarely do we talk about source, God, universe, um, ascended masters, spirit guides, ancestors, <laughs> and all of these forces, powers rather, are, are co-creating with us every moment of every single day in bringing us into the golden age, into this new earth paradigm where we experience heaven on earth. And so I, I hope that we can all kind of meditate on that and revel in that truth. And um, with that, I would like to invite Andres to the stage. <laughs> Erin, thank you so much for that. I'm blown away and so inspired by every word you said. Um, thank you for the space you're making and the, and the glow that you are giving to the world. <laughs> <laughs> I received that. I received that. And I also, too, am honored to, to chat with you um, because we all know that nature, Mother Earth, is a critical aspect of hosting us. Like, she is our host, honestly, and we're, we're guests in her playing. And, you know, you do bioleadership work. So everyone, Andres Roberts is the founder of the Bioleadership Project, um, which you can tell us a little bit more about it. But I, I really am wanting to know more about what brought you to this bioleadership work um, through the lens of who you are, so maybe some of your challenges. Um, and I'll just stop there. <clears throat> Great. Yeah, thank you. Um... Well, I'm still moved by everything you said. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I mean, that in itself is already so much. Um, yeah, my, my work is about saying, um, how can we be whole selves? How can we connect with the whole? Um, how can we live whole lives? And, and I'm really interested by how the systems that we've created in our society, whether it's businesses, whether it's communities, whether it's family structures, that they, um, we've designed them, they've developed over the last centuries really, in a way that um, break us out from being whole. Mm. You know, um, I, sometimes I'm not sure where to start, but you know, you can trace some of this back to the scientific revolution where humanity all of a sudden through science started to uh, believe in maths and believe in, in scientific measurement. And all of a sudden there was a moment when we thought, wow, we can measure the universe. Cartesian science says we can measure the universe, therefore we have control over the universe, therefore we're separate and greater than yeah. the universe. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's a worldview that started there. Mm. And many good things have come from that place. Mm. Uh, many good developments have come from that place, but we have carried the seed humanity, you know, and what we call, I would say, is a dominant way of being in the world now carries this seed of I am greater than, I control, I have power over. Mm. And um, and that has, has something that's ultimately deeply painful within ourselves because it split us out from being part of something bigger. Yes. Um, and, and it is also at the root of causing a, a great deal of, of harm ultimately um, to the to the systems and to the world that we're we're part of. A hundred percent. Right, right, right. 
Um, so, I mean, just and just the last bit I'd add to, to that. It's funny, you know, if I trace it right back and, and, and in terms of my own story, I've always had a question about this idea of whole, really. I, I remember being a boy. I'm half Colombian, half English. I remember being a boy in Colombia, sitting at a table in a very Latin context, you know, dozens of kids running around whilst the adults were sitting at the table, sort of chatting, 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 chatting. But I remember a moment where I overheard two grown-ups speaking and they weren't really hearing each other. Hmm. Like I remember one adult saying something and the other adults sort of responding, but they weren't connected. And I remember translating. I remember saying, no, 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 no. That she doesn't mean that, you know, she means she means something else. I don't know where I mean I can't really remember the words that I said, but I'm really I've always been intrigued by how we connect as the whole. How do we see the whole? That's always been something for me. And I I then I did my graduate degree. I ended up working in uh I just found a, a job that paid well, so I ended up working in a bank, but I left that in my twenties. I set up an agency that was about playfulness, mm. which was about how do we participate wholly? You know, yes. how do we create contexts where we're actually alive and whole? Yeah. But it, coming back to your story, it wasn't until actually then I then I started to work with nature. But it was it was actually a breakup for me that was with the moment where I started to ask questions around who am I really? Yes. You know, how do I really want to show up in the world? Yeah. How am I really making decisions? And then and then a whole load of magic started to flow for me from there. I love that. And what you just shared, the, the two things that deeply resonated with me was this idea about us believing that we were greater than. And what's interesting is that, you know, we're sort of a microcosm of the universe. And so I like to say, like, as within, so without. And when we feel the desire to control things that are outside of us, it is a very, I guess, acute indication that we don't have the ability to control what's in us. And that's something, too, that I had to kind of learn along my journey was the ability to sort of control myself, control my emotions, control how I feel, control how I show up in the world because I can't control shit around me. And especially when we're thinking about earth and thinking about the world, you know, we feel like we need to like beach clean up or, you know, save the whales or do whatever. I'm not quite sure what all the things are, but you know, if we aren't focused on the interchange, the shifting in, of the sails within us, like how can we do anything without? And, and the second piece was about your grief experience because you know, whether it's for me, like losing family members or, you know, for you losing, you know, a loved, a loved partner that you thought may be for life, you know, long, it's, it really catalyzes something in us in terms of what is lost and like, why am I here? If things don't look the way we want them to look, you know, how do I still adjust to that? And, and with that in mind, I, I would like to, for you to kind of talk a little bit about sort of like your journey in terms of even creating your company, because this is the meta business millennial. So I love to talk about the business aspect of things. And as you started to move into that, who am I? How did that start to shape and shift what you were doing in your in your career? Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's something about being yourself. 
No? Like period. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> it. yeah, and and boy, it's easy to say in the three words, but yeah. but but um at that point that I just talked about where okay, something's cracked, like the the Leonard Cohen quote, you must get that all the time. No, yeah. like the crack the, there's I don't know that one. You What's don't the know, quote? It's, it's where, where it's where the cracks are where the light gets in. Oh, got you. You know? Mm-hmm. Something's cracked, the light can come in. Beautiful. And, and I had a moment, okay, well, all right, my life is changing. Um, I was in a relationship. I thought it was going to be great. I thought, you know, I had my playful agency. I thought, okay, I've cracked it. Not that I've cracked it, but I was, I was asleep, a little bit asleep. Yeah, I love that. And then bang, mm. everything changes. I'm living somewhere else. I have all of these options in front of me, and that. So that was the moment. And it, for me, something, something was already happened because I'd already chosen to do a degree on a master's on responsible business. Okay. That blew me away because it was actually about world views and how we've come to be so detached from nature, which is a big seed of what I do. Mm. But in, in all of that, there were a few little kind of um, beacons for me. Some were reading, some were people um, that helped me that helped me sort of work with that idea of like how to be self. And one was a book on, called, called Synchronicity, actually, which okay. is, I, I think really close to how you describe things. Mm-hmm. Although I feel you're doing it in a way that's much more right for the world now. But but this book called Synchronicity by someone called Joe Javorsky gets to this essence of when when we are our true self and when we work from this place of source yeah then the world flows in a really different way yes you know and over over time i've come to experience that i also had a very wise woman once you know sort of maybe 10 years ago when i was starting my work and my business more and stuff mm-hmm. said to me I, I remember telling a story in a in a social context and she just came up to me and said don't give your power away okay you know don't give your power away and that and that I, I didn't really know what that meant at the time. It stayed with me for a couple of years. But I think now the way I relate to it is we can stay in our center. We can stay in our sense of being. We can stay who we are and choose how much of ourselves we give out to any given yes. context and choose to how much we give out to any, anybody else. <clears throat> so I think in my own work, what I've always been exploring, I'm not saying I've cracked it, <laughs> But but it's this idea of work from from my source, be be myself, ground, and then and then all of a sudden, I mean, I have noticed I've noticed things flow in a different way, you know, um, and it's a, it's always an experiment. It's always even even yesterday here, you know, some folks on the podcast obviously weren't there, but when I was invited to to add to a panel yesterday, I just felt this call that I that we should thank the sun and that we should thank the trees yes. before anything else. Yes. And that in a way, that was also me coming back to, it was me experimenting a little bit with like, am I supposed to say something clever here? Or I think we should just thank the sun first. Yes. Uh, and know, everyone yelled and screamed. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And, it, and it's dancing with where, who am I really? You know, yeah. And what do I feel is important? And it, yeah. all of a sudden, it feels like it's coming from your, from the ground and through the body, and now through your heart, not in the head. Mm. You know, and and um, I've tried to just constantly come back to that place in how we we've developed the work that I do, mm. and and the work that I do now is this bioleadership project, and it's a community of people around the world, and it's a consultancy working with people like Patagonia and. 
you know, it's retreats that connect really extraordinary people. But always, always, I'm like, are we being true to what we're trying to be? Am I being true to what I'm trying to be? Yes. Constantly learning. Beautiful. And and what resonated with me was when you talked about the power and don't give your power away, because that was like my Achilles heel for a long time. Like I would say, even up until recently, um, I would say as women, um, as people of color, we're often, you know, people pleasing. I would just say pe- people in general were just people pleasing. And in that action, it's that in and of itself is giving away of power um, because you're really enabling someone else to determine whether you're doing good or not. And actually, that's pretty much the structure of business, I would say, in terms of just us deferring to managers, deferring to direct reports, and that we are always dependent on someone else to give us a good a gold star. And when in reality, we should be the only ones giving ourselves that. You know, we're, the, we're our, our own judge, and usually we're our harshest critics. And being able to sit in your power takes intentional work. And it takes uh, focus and it takes a high level of awareness because you first of all have to be aware of where the fuck your power is. Is it out here or is it in here? And so I would like to dig into like what that work looks like for you, like on a day-to-day basis maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously for me, a lot of it is, is work with nature, you know? Um, So for, folks especially on the listening as well some of my the heart of my work is also in uh, facilitating processes where we leave the busyness of society behind and go into nature to listen and to be present and sometimes you know we honor traditional uh vision quests you know what Mm. what some indigenous people around the world would call a vision quest where you go out and you go alone and you'll be four days sometimes in a circle in the wild and you just watch you know you leave everything behind and you just watch and you watch and you watch and you watch yourself in a nature and you notice things in in outer nature and it's a very remarkable uh, you know extraordinary process really that's so simple in a way but it shows so much and, and so I facilitate a contemporary form of that that's maybe gentler and it's maybe more accessible, but still it's so healing and so supportive for people. Yes. So, so that, that's, that's a thing. Just a, so so um, lots of things come for me from that. But over time, what I felt that contributes most at the deepest level is a feeling of belonging. Yes. It's a f- like you strip everything away. You strip all of the language, all of the words, all of the social conditioning and stuff like that. And there is a tiny, very beautiful moment where you feel like you belong to, to life, you know? And, and, and so for myself, that's what I do. But I was really moved when you spoke earlier by your story, your sister's story. And I have a four-year-old daughter. And I think every day, of course, what should I do to help her life? And the one thing I'd love, if I could give her one gift for her life would be to have that sense of belonging. Yes. (laughs) That touched my heart for real. Thank you for that. Mm. Because it's interesting how we use the word belonging um, in these days and time. Um, Because obviously it's kind of paired with diversity and inclusion and and it kind of gets lost in the sauce. Let's just be real. And um, and so I feel like 
the way in which you describe belonging, it literally like brought a little, a little, you know, to my, my eye. And I felt like that in, in nature, this idea of like the connectivity is essentially what you're also talking about in this, this shared consciousness and this, you know, to your point, wholeness that we rarely experience, take the time to experience if we even know that it exists. And so um, I feel like um, we're going to kind of wrap it up a little bit here. But I just want to ask you one last question in terms of just when you do this work, you know, how do you find the impact? Because I feel like in business, especially where I came from, if it's not fiduciary duty, if it's not bottom line, then it ain't shit, you know? And so I really would like to know, like, when you're working with people, especially like a company as as forward as as Patagonia, like, how do you, if for lack of better words, like measure the impact or um, articulate the impact with them and and you know others? Oh, it's a it's a huge question, and and I'll try and give a, a little answer because yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but maybe we need another podcast on this one. Yes, that'd be great. Yeah, um, I have to be honest, I feel I've had a number of conversations in the last weeks about how it feels like post-pandemic, post things like Extinction Rebellion, the world moved. There was a tide forward of saying, yeah, we want to change things. And I feel like that tide's come away a little bit. I feel like the, the mainstream of, yeah, we can tip things in a certain point has actually softened a little bit and, mm. and and i don't know where to i don't know where that is in my body actually i feel a, a regret or a loss or something like that <clears throat> however i i what that shows is some extraordinary shining stars that are still so committed and still you know do, doing it and, mm. and 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 so i'm sitting with um like just how just how to help hold that question of commitment, you know, of, of deep commitment. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I spoke a little about Yvonne Schwinard and the founder of Patagonia, who's just like, do it because it's the right thing. Yeah, period. You know, exactly, and and I feel like that's what we have to help each other come back to. That forget measurement, forget impact reports, forget like you know, <laughs> it's just like boom. We we know what the call is out there. Yeah. Do it because it's the right thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I've got to with that. Mic drop. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we really wanted to kind of flip the script a little bit and invite you guys to question, share, or, you know, just comment uh, a little bit so that, you know, we get a little more connectivity and wholeness. So... We want to get you a mic so we can get it on that. Yeah. Thank y'all, first of all. I mean, whew, I'm just really in this energy right now. And I appreciate <laughs> everything that you've shared that's been so vulnerable. Um, my name is Boy Wen, and I just wanted to kind of continue on the measurement piece, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it is so real. Everybody's always asking about, you know, how do you know you're creating impact, all of that. But Thinking about data in terms of it's just storytelling mm -hmm. and what you just said about it's the right thing to do, period, mm -hmm. right? That is a story. So mm -hmm. is there something that you can share a bit around that piece? Like what, what are anecdotally things that you're seeing around um, people locking into, oh, I am doing the right thing, 
in terms of like, how do you tell that story? It's still measurement, it's still data, it's still um, proving a point that people's lives are improved in some way, right? Yeah. So can you share a little bit within your work? Yeah, I'm happy to go first because I think for me, it's about language. Because even though I call myself the metabusiness world, um, what resonates with people is well-being. And the fact that there are a lot of studies now, Gallup Poll just did a huge well-being um, study that was published in survey about how our well-being impacts the workplace, how our self-awareness, when we're more self-aware, we're more confident, we're more creative, we're more collaborative. And so I'm able to sort of, I guess, massage the lexicon to be able to, to share that narrative in a way. It's almost like being a translator, you know, and I've... In, in many ways, I feel like that's almost like our role in terms of like what in the work that we do in terms of bringing other people along is as guides, how do we meet people where they are? Because obviously we're, if you're in this room, you're leading edge, like you're to be attracted to this energy, like you are already way advanced. And so you, we have to also be um, patient <laughs> and also I, I would say compassionate and how we um, communicate with folks that may be critical or resistant. Um, I think I had maybe mentioned to someone before that, you know, we know that this work is our cosmic duty. We know that this is our divine right and all these things. But when we're met with resistance, you, we have to fall back and also understand that we have to be in alignment with people who we work with and people we serve. And, I, and I, I guess it makes sense why someone like him would be at, like at a, at a Patagonia because this guy's like, this is it, versus being at like an H&M where they're like, who gives a fuck? You know what I'm saying? So um, it's also, I think for me, also about alignment and understanding when it's the right time, which, uh, you know, that's the work. <laughs> yeah, I, I can answer to that. Um, good on you, thank you. Because it's also about grounding it and making it feel real, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then I suppose we all have those edges of like, well, well, you know, I've got clients who are on the Patagonias and who want to make a start and who, I mean, I think even interestingly, some of the stuff that Patagonia have done has made people go, oh, I'm never going to get there. It's almost like, you know, Earth is shareholder. That's never going to happen for us. <laughs> you know, it's alienating. So we, we came up with this thing with the bioleadership project where we said there's kind of like four or five stories, like areas of story that show, right, that's a kind of movement that's happening um, that we can sort of describe in a qualitative way and, and that indicates a kind of progress. And it's not about everybody doing all of those stories, but if you're doing one well, it's helping everybody move forward. So see if I remember these. One is like uh, stories that change the rule, the narrative of progress. Like, you know, if the narrative of progress has been about maximization measured through profit and, and GDP, there are now other measures of progress, like stories of progress, like Bhutan with gross national happiness, or, you know, or, or measuring through sort of like uh, annual and well being aspects, not just quarterly profit. Like, so we can tell new stories that honor a different form of, of progress, right? There are, I think there are stories that show we can create alternative structures that move away from centralized power and command over and power over. And so there are stories around how organizing systems um, are changing. I think this is where Martin wanted to go yesterday. 
It's just that there's so much before you get to that point, you know, like you can, you know, there are holacracy um, and spiral based in New Zealand, like ways of organizing that actually start to look more like a healthy natural system, not a sort of centralized machine, Mm -hmm. you know, so, okay, can we monitor that? Can we, can we watch those things, you know, and and, to be quick, because not to take too much time on this, um, there are stories around how we work as ecosystems. Like, I, I think we're so bound to, uh, the, the the sort of like the hard frames around or, organizations, but really, whether it's in a sort of business context, whether it's in a social impact context, no one can do anything alone. Can we actually pivot to think this is not happening from the inside out, but as a collective together? Mm-hmm. So that's one for me. And then there are stories about not extraction, but regeneration. And lastly, there are stories about um, uh, cultures of connection. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can now walk into a place of work, you can walk into a, a neighborhood, you can walk into a, a family and you start to feel, right, there's something here which is coming from a place of, we feel like we're part of something bigger, we feel like we're part of nature. And I think there's stories in themselves. So I'm really interested in, in kind of gathering those stories and then maybe sort of illuminating them. And, and that's a form of impact potentially. It's mm-hmm. good. <laughs> speaking on is shifting people's worldviews. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can take one more question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grabbed there. the mic, so yeah. I'm, hey. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Aaron and Malik, or Aaron and Andres. My name is Malik. Um, and I, I, I'm going to ramble just a little bit, but I, it's going to be a question within this. Um, so Andres, I really appreciated um, how you started um, your involvement in the discussion yesterday. Uh, thanking, especially thanking the sun. Um, you know, I, I, I think I was cursing the sun earlier in the day, sweating nonstop. But, you know, you don't really start to really, um, you know, really appreciate it until it starts to go away. Yeah. And at that moment when you had said that, it was starting to get cold mm. because it was starting to starting to set, you know. Um, and that, that presents me to something that really struck me a couple of weeks ago that's been kind of bouncing around inside of me, um, which is like this interview I saw um Michael J. Fox give actually, you know, he's doing releasing a documentary about his life and his, de- you know, deterioration mm. from Parkinson's, and um, and he said something that was like really, really profound for me that really sat on me. And he's and what he said was like he's like I know that it's difficult to see me like this, but with gratitude, optimism gets sustained, you know. Mm. And that really, um, that I've, I've been thinking, you know, about that almost every day now. And I, my wife has heard me talk about this. Um, where it's like, where can I find gratitude? Mm. Um, And where within all these conversations that we're involved in, can we find optimism also? Like, what is the optimism that we get to sustain? Yeah. You know, because I think that that's something that goes missing in a lot of the conversations, you know, where you're trying to impact runaway capitalism or trying to save the actual planet that we're living on or (laughs) trying to transform business or usher through bold leadership. Like, where is gratitude and all of that for you? You know, where does that live? Um, Mm. Yeah. Thank you. You can start. Yeah. Um, yeah, super short. Um, I mean, I, I every day I do look at the IPCC reports about the state of the world, and I and I look at the trees, and they're, they're both there all of the time. It's like, you know, I, I care because it's so special. It's so so special, and um, I, it might sound a little corny, but man, we're alive. 
what if it's what if it's this moment and what better ride to be on so it, it's it's just that for me it's like we've got, we're here we've got it um and we can enjoy it and i'm so grateful for that all of the time yes i definitely would have to agree with that i literally was crying this morning because i was thanking myself and I feel like that's, I've mentioned it before, but it, and it sounds kind of trite, but if we're not grateful for ourselves and our path and our work, then it's really not going to be reflected outside of us. And so as much as I can, I'm reminding myself to be thankful for myself and showing up in all that I do and all my challenges and all, you know, in these conversations, meeting you guys. If I'm not myself, then um, I give myself grace too. <laughs> Thank you, Andres. This was a beautiful conversation. I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And so, um, without further ado, we're going to invite our next guests, Simone and Akbar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it's true. Yeah, I know it is a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. <laughs> I want you to try not to cry. All yesterday I was crying. We may have some tears. Maybe watching. a little bit. <laughs> don't bring up Daddy Dennis, don't. Yeah, so I actually had the beautiful pleasure of meeting Akbar and Simone very randomly yesterday and sharing, you know, some shared trauma, some shared loss, some shared grief. And However, that didn't even really scratch the surface of, you know, who you guys are and what you bring to the work that you do. And I mean, I guess individually and, and probably both collectively, it would be amazing to really talk about what has started to inspire your journey. Um, because obviously you each have had your own, you know, tra traverses on this planet with in the skin um, that's looked probably amazing and crazy and tragic at the same time <laughs> um and then how did that kind of inform this work today yeah you want me? okay mm -hmm. and also there's connections i know andy zimmerman well as well oh wow so, yeah so there's a lot of yeah connections synchronicity but, for real and talking about synchronicity tim actually saw simone and i speaking at davos and and literally when we came off the stage invited us to come here so you know all of it sort of feels like there was something um, big happening here that we were meant to be at Amazing. and all the people we were going to meet. But um, similar, you know, similar to the, a lot of the traumas and, and pain that you talked about, I grew up in a society that didn't deem um, my life, you know, worthy of living being uh, gay in Pakistan. Um, so I think all that trauma and grief I spoke about um, yesterday with some people that actually uh, powered me to kind of create the businesses that I've built today and to get where I am because um, it was sort of a mask, right? I got to get there to show everybody that I can fucking do it. Yeah. And fuck you. I'm yeah. gay. I'm Muslim and I will be fucking successful. Yeah. Um, so that, <laughs> so I, I do think that that, you know, and that, that, that actually brought me together with somebody like Simone, who's equally, you know, such a badass and, and two people who come from such shared and lived experiences who are going to now, um, you know, do a lot of powerful storytelling. Um, so, so I think with People of Crypto Lab, the company we founded, um, we, we, 
we came together because we we were exploring the emerging tech space over the pandemic. Like, you know, a lot of people were kind of had a lot of time to listen to things. Simone was deep in Clubhouse, so she was probably in it more than me. And um, and um, at my, you know, my, my other uh, place of work at the time, we were working a lot in emerging tech and, and Simone and I ran into each other at conferences and we're like, we're not seeing each other reflected on these stages. We're not hearing our stories. Period. And tech, tech has never been inclusive and we're going to change that. So as we go into this new era of, of technology and, and Web3, we're going to ensure that diversity and inclusivity is at the forefront because our stories and our cultures have shaped history. Yes. So it's time that we're sort of, you know, at the forefront of this. Um, and uh, and so that's how we, we came together. But for me, I think what was really poignant was this business, um, after working almost two decades, you know, with big brands and building their narratives was the first time I shared my narrative. Mm. And we built um, Pride in the Metaverse, which was our first big um, initiative is bringing pride to an audience that is universal because with the metaverse, with technology, if you have computer and an internet, you can come into a space and join and feel a sense of community and belonging and, and, and all of what we've been talking about. So mm -hmm. for me, it was actually really powerful because it was a healing experience because I have never shared my story. I've oh, never wow. um, celebrated being gay. Oh, I've wow. never, um, you know, never used that as a tool to storytell or, or it's always been about pleasing everyone else and yeah. all the big brands we work with. And stepping into those boardrooms, you know, with the luxury brands in Paris and putting on the mask of, um, you know, trying to blend in or, or be who they are. And actually, I even had an experience with a luxury brand that I, that I won't name that asked me to remove a black woman from my team because she was not luxury enough huh. um, and didn't have the right look for the brand. And I was just shocked. I, I, I didn't even know what to say. And I wish I would have said something more, but back then it was also you know, protecting the business and what do I do? And, you know, I have a whole team and it's not just one, you know, it was a very, very awkward situation. This was, oh, wow. you know, a few years ago. So, um, so I think to be able to step into a business that we created where the first big project we did was, was me getting to celebrate my identity was, was really powerful and made me realize Web3 and Metaverse and these emerging technologies are going to allow us to do that for so many people, yeah. not just LGBTQ, but disabled, people of color, black women, everybody that we stand for. So, um, so yeah, so that's a little bit of my, yeah, my story and why I think this business and what we're building is, is so important. Our game is also called The Valley of Belonging. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's everyone was talking about it. I was like, literally, we created a game and a business about belonging, wow. being seen wow. for everyone that has been othered for you to feel seen yes. and to show up exactly as you are in your whole self. Yes. So when someone says it's not possible, we are literally living the possibility right. that business and love and kindness and thinking about others can actually drive successful businesses. We're extremely profitable. I'm a purpose-driven capitalist. I'm not ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, when you see all the stats, you know, diversity and inclusion is important. It actually drives business. We are the use case. Yeah. And as we intersect, I think there's so much opportunity. I don't think that we've ever had in this space the opportunity to intersect and make better decisions. And I think for us, that was what really was a driving force. We bonded yesterday. Mm -hmm. I can tell you a little bit about my story, a Mayball. It could go either way. Yeah, please share. So for me, there was a point, I was also in fashion, 
kept this thing. I don't actually speak like this in rooms like this. I do now, but if you had <laughs> met me five years ago, you would have heard a totally different voice. I talk like this to my family, but in public, a code switch and I speak for you. I speak to make you comfortable. I'm uncomfortable, but most of my life, I have been uncomfortable to make all of you comfortable. Yes. And to be very honest, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there is a point where, you know, you feel a little aggressive because there's some subdued, subconscious little angle. Like I can't show up because you don't understand it. And 2018, very similar. My father had cancer. He had struggled with it for 15 years. My father, my daddy was an amazing human being. 15 years, never one thing said anything bad. He went into hospital in September. Well, we'll start with August. August, I left my fiance. September, my father goes into the hospital. October, he's dying. My company fires me. I was also in fashion. All three things. So the three things that most make up your life, that triangle of life, gone. Mm -hmm. Daddy passes in October. And I sat in a place of just, okay, what you do now? So for the first two weeks, I couldn't eat, I couldn't move, I couldn't do anything. People fed me, my father and I were this. When I said, when someone loves you so wholly and so perfectly that your reflection from their eyes is all that is perfect. Yes. That's gone. So now what am I looking at? I have bipolar, I have HDHD, so my shadow side, I live in it. Coming out of it is very difficult. Yeah. And so I sat for two weeks and I made the decision, either you die here or you live here. And you have to make that choice. And for me, it was more, I, believe, I don't believe in death. I don't believe that you just go. I believe there is energy that stays with you forever. And if any chance my father was looking, it would absolutely kill him again in whatever consciousness he was in to see me in this pain. Yeah. So I got up. No clue what I was going to do, but I got up and I started trying to figure it out. I didn't want to be in fashion, but it's the one thing I knew. So I stayed in it and I just kept looking for ways to escape into somewhere else. And digital fashion came up next. As Akbar mentioned, I was in Clubhouse. Web3 resonated with me in a way that it showed like blockchain in general. The idea of democratizing power, of allowing everyone to have a certain level of equality, like deep in my heart, that showed up for me. Yes. And there was just a point where I said, I will no longer show up the way everyone else needs me to be seen. Yes. I will show up as my whole self, which includes my voice, the way I look, the way I talk. I was raised Jamaican. We are very open, blunt, to the point people. I used to suffocate that because it made everyone uncomfortable. I'm not making you uncomfortable. I no longer feel the need to make others comfortable with my discomfort. Come on now. So for that, that is a very powerful feeling. And I thank my daddy and I thank my family and my friends. And honestly, this space has been absolutely incredible. Yesterday, I spent most of it in tears because, as I said, I'm very purpose-driven. And to hear people talking about business in such an emotional, connective way, yes. that's just, I get it. Yeah. Because it's literally how I live my life. And to be surrounded with other people that feel the same way and see it and have like the understanding that we can do better, that we can be better, right. that we can still do business. We're not, not trying to, I don't, there may be non, we're for profit but you can still be profitable 
and think about humans. Yeah. Like, why is that such a hard thing to, to gain? Like, we measure success on the humanity of our business. There was someone in Akbar had said, can you imagine if you can celebrate pride for the first time, that you can be with people for the first time? Mm-hmm. One of the people that runs our community is exactly that. And that is success for us. Yes. Everybody always, what does success look like? Success looks like someone showing up and knowing that they are protected, that they are safe, yeah. that they can be whatever they want to be. That yes. trickles down from our game into our employees, into every level of our business. Yeah. And if you threaten that, you will not be around us. That is just a simple fact. If you want to bring in a toxic energy of control and that space, it just doesn't fit in our company. Yeah. It's not in our org chart. Sorry. Yes. And what's amazing is we're seeing big brands lean in. So we are seeing a shift even in this post pandemic world where people have kind of gone back to the way things were. There's still hope. Um, you know, our first partners were L'Oreal and NYX Cosmetics. And we're also intentional with our partners, but NYX Cosmetics stands for Pride 365. So they, they, you know, we look into that. They live and breathe that all year long. It's not just a one-time moment. So there are brands leaning into that. We're working, you know, on an upcoming big initiative. Simone's leading for Hip Hop 50. And brands are really leaning into celebrating black culture and and their contributions to fashion and music and style and, you know, all of that. And we're looking at um, cultural celebrations like Diwali and Eid and Ramadan and how do we bring in brands through community-led programs where, you know, they are actually leaning into the communities they're marketing to, um, asking them what they want to see, celebrating with them in a really different way rather than just putting out an ad, right? So it's it's where it's it's like almost intentional marketing. So there is a big shift happening that we're seeing. Because we don't have consumers, we have community. Yes. So for us, it's a very, I mean, the beauty of Web3 is that idea that you're not selling to, you're creating with, and that idea of collaboration. For us, though, the main concern is simply that if you are not reflected in the development, then you are not seen as the end user. And with technology, a lot of times it's not built for us. So our whole focus is to ensure that it is being built for the end user. It is being, women are being considered, black people are being considered, disabled are being considered, Mm -hmm. people of color are being considered. And right now when you look at technology and you can see, I mean, it's a gift and a curse. There's many things that it has brought, but it has also brought a lot of trauma and toxicity you have to look back all the way and look at how they were built and right. why they were built. Right. Facebook wasn't built on this altruistic idea of bringing people together. It was because he got dissed by a woman and wanted to be able to vote women and mm-hmm. judge people mm-hmm. and share. That's not really like a foundation of jo- love and joy. Yes. So when you look back at these things and how things are being built, right. how do you build it from a purer place? And honestly, if it wasn't for Web3 with its... It's such a huge opportunity. We wouldn't have these opportunities to build. Yeah. We wouldn't be sitting up here. We're non-technical founders. We didn't go, I'm a college dropout. I don't have the level of education. Like three, I'm like, whoa, I couldn't even get through high school. <laughs> <laughs> like all the things I'm like, I could not get through high school. Yeah. So for us, like when you look at that, we are living proof that you can do incredible things with a purpose and that the things you think you need and you must be, are actually just bullshit. Yes. You can be whatever you want to be. 
And it sounds kind of, eh, but it's true. You just have to believe it. You don't need everyone else to believe it. You need to believe it. And that's where I think the intersection of joy and purpose comes in. Yeah, and I, I also I believe, and what deeply resonated with me was the intention and the intent to which we create things and where it comes from. Um, because if we aren't leading with that highly conscious voice and intention and energy, then of course, whatever we're manifesting or creating is not going to carry that same level of, of consciousness. And one thing that I've been just grappling with even while I'm here and just in my life in general, my spiritual path is this idea of identity. Mm. Because since I've come into this knowing of me being a divine goddess in a human experience, then I continually disassociate myself more and more to the, the, the identities, the labels, the, the, bound, the bounds that I feel have been the shackles even of blackness. You know what I'm saying? Like the shackles of being a woman, you know, because I mean, we mentioned it before, if this energy is, is infinite and you mentioned that this consciousness continues to exist, then why would I, you know, lock myself into this identity? So obviously a lot of your work has to do with identity and, and making sure people feel honored in who they present themselves as in this day and time. And I just wanted to talk to you guys about like, do you feel like that can be limiting or do you feel like the boundaries that we put place on ourselves in terms of these labels are, are maybe unnecessary. I just want to explore that conversation with you guys, especially since this is the core of kind of what you're doing. So really great question. And it's <laughs> something that we look at from like physical identity to digital identity and all the layers that come into that. Mm -hmm. But the first thing I was thinking when you were seeing it is five years ago, I was considered aggressive and bitchy. Now I have candor. So the identity is really not so much internal, it's external of how you've decided to transfer what it is I am. Mm -hmm. I've always known that I was, I've always been like this and I've been very comfortable with it mm -hmm. more so later years than I was earlier because, you know, you get quieter and you try and make everyone feel nice. Yeah. And now I'm like, fuck you, don't care. Yeah. I feel nice. Yes. But in that aspect, like what is identity for yourself yeah and how is it that people project what they think onto you yeah so it's not just like your racial identity your social identity your, your sexual identity identity to me is right now so unique in the fact that everybody is re-looking at it from all aspects from all angles and when you're talking about your authentic self mm -hmm. isn't that not the root basis of all identity yes absolutely and well, the identity question in metaverse and virtual worlds is really important because we were talking a little bit about this yesterday. There's, um, you know, people that are showing up as, as uh, who might be white, showing up as black, men showing up as women. Is that okay? Is that not okay? So that's a whole conversation. Yeah. In, in some aspects, it's incredible because you can experiment with who your identity might be struggling with in the real world, so in a virtual setting and maybe feel a sense of connection or belonging again and start exploring that. But in some cases, is it, you know, taking advantage of a certain situation? Is it um, poking fun? Is it, you know, so there's a lot of conversation and brands are grappling with it. We're grappling with it. Like, how do you show up? What's the appropriate um, way to show up? Is it exactly as yourself or as something imaginative? Um, so, you know, because there are, we've spoken to people in the disabled community who don't necessarily want to be an avatar in a wheelchair. They might want to be, 
uh, an avatar that is able to, you know, run and walk or have wings or whatever it might be. So, but we are trying, we're working with big technology to ensure that disabled avatars are possible because right now in games, there's a lot of limitations with height. So we want to make sure that you can be in a wheelchair in a game if you want to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so it's really interesting um, because there's two sides to it. But at the end of the day, what we want is for you to be able to show up in your choice. You should have the choice to show up in a wheelchair if you wanted to and reflect who you are in real life. Or you have the choice to come in. The main goal is for us to create that, to ensure, because no one else is, we had the first NPCs in wheelchairs in our games. Try and look at any video game with people in wheelchairs. There's not a lot of it because it's not being thought about to say, let me ensure that you are being seen. Mm. So however you want to show up, we are ensuring that you can show up like that. Mm. And that's, I think, the, the main difference when we're looking at things. Akbar and I have fought for every inch we have ever gotten. Mm. We haven't just sat there. We've had to fight for it. So now that we are in the position that we're in, we would like to make it a little easier for everybody else. So they are not fighting as hard. We have not been seen in rooms. I can literally, we've been on meetings and people are talking through me directly to him. And I'm like, I'm actually the one that's going to answer the decision. I'm the one that's going to pay you. So maybe you want to pay a little bit of attention. And for us feeling that way, at least specifically for me, it's what drives me to ensure that everyone feels seen when we were going to conferences and I'd be literally looking around and I'm the only black woman. Anyone that I saw, I would walk up and introduce myself to as a woman. I need to know who you are. Mm -hmm. I need to know what you do and what help you need. Mm -hmm. Because as a community and as a collective, that is what it's about. Mm -hmm. We can only drive ourselves forward. And I have to say, as women, we are reaching there. We just did um, a research paper on with BCG on Web3. And when you're looking at technology and all the conversations we're having, just from a gender perspective, and we need to improve, we're actually going all the way down. Mm-hmm. So only 3% of all female teams raise are able to raise money. There are 3% of founders are represented as all female teams. Mm-hmm. 13% mixed. The rest are all male teams. When it comes to raising, we raise four times less. Mm. So 4 million versus 40 million. What does that look for scale in a business when you have that type of runway? No women have raised over 100 million. Mm-hmm. You're looking at a percentage of founders that's declining. Mm-hmm. And then even the percentage of women working in the space, 27% HR and marketing. No one in technical roles, minimum. So we're not improving. We are literally declining. And this is from a huge conversation in Web2. So women, honestly, at this point, we need to learn to take up space. The idea of being quiet, the idea of going with how it goes, fitting in, we can't have that anymore. It's just not working. We need to be loud. We need to be taking up space and expressing. And if it's aggressive, then it's aggressive. Because I'm here to tell you that they're not going to hand the power over to us. It's going to need to be taken. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, yes. And I think, I mean, you said it best. I mean, the authenticity is it. And so for women, for men, for whoever it is, you just have to show up in the fullness of yourself. And just to kind of recap all of it, I mean, the fullness comes from you knowing who the fuck you are. Yeah, and, then, right. and that's just how we say it. And that comes from intentional connection with yourself. We talked about it before, the gratitude for yourself, the love for yourself. And the more that we start to affirm who we are, the more that we can show up in this way. So um, I just want to open it up. Got a few more minutes before we have to um, head to our, our next session. But if, if you guys have any questions, comments, share how this resonates with you, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> Hi. Um, thanks, firstly. Nice talk. Question to the young lady. Simone. Simone. Thank you, Simone. You mentioned that when someone was coming with a toxic attitude in your culture, that there was no space for them and you'd give them a kick. What about working with them to help correct the way they see and maybe support a shift? Because that was also, there's an aggressiveness to that as well. You don't fit, so you're out, and it plays on both sides. So I think fitting is not, for, that's not the correct terminology because it's more of an energy and I don't think energy fits into like a space. It's more if you are bringing the energy that is going to create pain or toxicity in where we're trying to create positivity, then that energy is not welcomed in. However, yes, there is space to learn and space to grow. And it's the kicking out is more that we're moving that. So let's maybe that's not the best vernacular. Let's say we're shifting it. So we're moving it to a space. And when you're working with people, it's also the question of, to Akbar, what you said, how are you coming? Like there's a lot of companies that want to just align with for that check. We've done this, this looks right. So if you're just aligning with and you're utilizing our platform to make yourself look better or to shape your narrative to align with us when your back end and your entire company culture doesn't align, it's very visible. And that's going to affect our company. That's going to affect the way that we are seen. And we can't have that because the work we're doing is very important. And if we're maligned by your basically your toxic views or your need to align without doing the actual work, then we should have that choice to say no. I mean, you, the, what you mentioned, space, energy and space, right? The question is how much space do you have to hold to transform that? There's a lot of power in that transformation though. Equally, when you talk about the, the, the journey that you've both been on, that's also your power, right? That's, yes. that's what energizes the, the bigger mission. That's the alchemization of, of the self, which brings on to the nature of identity, but I'm gonna, I don't wanna dominate this conversation. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And if I could just speak to that, because that's a very beautiful point, because I too am, am one that if the energy doesn't align, then you know, I gotta go. then good, goodbye, because um, and we, we talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of just in, when you're dealing with consciousness, when you're dealing with energy and awareness, um, that there are levels to the shit, you know? And so if you're operating at a level, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, literally. Well, and, and, how, and so how I measure it actually is um, Dr. David Hawkins. Yeah. And 
and, and this is the point that I like to make with it is just it's an awareness. So when you're aware of where someone operates, you know, I was using the quote earlier, like, and you are a Kabbalist, so I'm sure you're very familiar with um, the Jesus text, like when he was saying, like, people know not what they do. And so, you know, if someone's operating at a level of fear and then they're coming at you with some funky ass energy, then you're saying, okay, I understand where this person's operating, where they're coming from. So I have to set boundaries for myself, for my business, to protect who we are and where we're going. Because we're operating at a level of love, and in order to continue to sustain this, it cannot be tainted by this. And so for, for us, and for me at least, I'm speaking for myself, that this is how I move in order to, especially in, in this juncture, to be able to protect the work that we're doing and how we're showing up. And if someone's you know, coming with the toxic vibes, then that's that cannot support us in where we're going. And if you start to look at it metaphysically, there can oftentimes be other dimensional entities that are actually utilizing that, that person or that energy to try to destroy what we're trying to create. So we have to really be aware of what we're doing and how we're showing up and who we're bringing into the space because there are a lot of agendas at play, both visible and invisible. I love the invisible. Mm-hmm. Uh, a neo-Nazi who became ended up becoming quite uh, an important Kabbalist and also a massive advocate for Judaism and Jewish spirituality, the mystical arm of Judaism. And he started as a, a German neo-Nazi, kind of like like he was uh, one of those guys on the streets kicking people's heads in. And his journey. So it's often the you know it's always I just like to I like to just push just because we're fake. No, so I also think that his journey is based on his experience. Of course. I don't think that I would be experiencing his journey and setting that boundary for my protection and the people that I love. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Everyone has to come to their personal understanding. And to be very totally. honest, me drawing that boundary with someone maybe the catalyst that they need to look internally totally. because it's not my response. There's a, honestly, this, thank you for that. <laughs> the simplest thing yeah. is when you're on a plane and it's going down, what's the first thing they say? You put the oxygen on you, then on someone else. So protecting ourselves first, mm -hmm. maybe the catalyst they need to recognize that their bu bullshit is not being accepted and maybe they need to fix it. A hundred percent. 100%. I'm, I'm, yeah, we could talk about this. As a yes, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Any other questions, comments, things that resonate with them this time? You have one? Okay. <laughs> You're just grateful. I think there's one back okay. there. I just want to... I'm sorry, I'm really activated right now because you know what I'm gonna say. What just went down is the shit that we have to deal with all the time. Like the emotional labor that it takes to deal with the egos of people who have been privileged, who are afraid of somehow not being part of the game anymore because we are here taking up space. It's like, that's a conversation that can be had endlessly. 
And this conversation that y'all been in around how are we going to create new worlds that center everybody in love and internal power aligned with the universe creating itself. It's true. Some people are going to be uncomfortable. And I say, if you are not uncomfortable, you are not in the change. Mm. And I see what yes. y'all are creating here. And I love how you took that back. That was beautiful. I just want to acknowledge you, all three of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I really appreciate that acknowledgement because yes. we know different. I think we understand what just happened to a certain degree. Yeah, certainly. And um, I just want to kind of start to close it out and wrap it up and just thank everyone for being here. Um, again, thank you, Akbar. Thank you, thank Simone. You. Thank you. <laughs> this was a beautiful conversation exploring a, a, a lot of different topics. And, and it kind of that was a great kind of ending note in that if we're not uncomfortable, if we're... <laughs> If we ain't hurting, if we're not feeling anything, then we're not doing the work. Mm -hmm. And at this point in day and time, like work is not sitting at the laptop anymore. Work is not, you know, digging ditches or whatever. The work is healing people. The work is healing ourselves, healing our traumas, looking at who we are, what we're, how we're showing up in the world. That's the work that we're being called to do in order to transition into this new earth paradigm and to experience heaven on earth. Okay, guys. So with that, well, I love y'all. I love y'all. I love y'all. I love y'all. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Did you really love this episode of the Meta Business Millennial Podcast? Well, I am honored. And I appreciate you subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. Because your feedback allows us to co-create more enlightened conversations. And if you're interested in growing your soul now, head over to my website, AaronPatton.com to find all the show notes, links, and free resources to get your energy activated today. In the meantime, stay bright, my friends. Much love and light. Peace.